everybody, welcome back to a brand new episode of the Lenient Critic Podcast. My name is Rowan Wood, founder of the Lenient Critic site, and for today's episode, I have a fellow Sif Pop writer here to review a couple movies, preview a couple movies, uh, and just talk movies in general. Uh, Heath Lynch, welcome to the Lenient Critic Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Of course, of course. Uh, so we have entered January, which is uh, a bit of a dump month uh, for movies, <laughs> unfortunately. Although, you know, what, what what's weird about this is that, you know, for every uh, 355, uh, we get Scream, which I've heard is yeah. getting a lot of positive buzz, which is quite strange. You know, it's speaking of Scream, it just as a franchise, it's incredible to me that this franchise that is in and of itself a meta parody of horror franchises and now in its fifth entrant is still you could make an argument this is one of the best if not the best consistent horror franchise ever like mm -hmm. for i mean obviously people genuinely love the first one but you see reviews and talking points and yeah like you said all the way up until this fifth one people still like them it's insane i normally buy like five movies into a horror franchise you're like oh no this is long dead but yeah they're still going strong right. Right, yeah, and you know, they got past Scream 3, which in my opinion is the weakest of the franchise so far. Yes, and um, even that being the weakest, it's still watchable. I don't think exactly. it's yeah. bad. It's just there. It's a film. Right, it's just not <laughs> as good. Yeah, it's not um, as good. Yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I think Scream's strategy is released in January. There's not going to be anything else good out, so we can easily top the box office, which... Hopefully, you know, I mean, Spider-Man's still still out there, still still making hundreds of millions of dollars. So, yes, that's true. Yeah. Who can really say? Um, but before we we talk Scream, we will uh, dive into Scream and what we hope for and what we think later. But for now, we are going to talk about what's playing currently. And we are going to talk about the three, five, five. Hands, put your gun down, please. Five, four, three, two, one. Pull the trigger. Or you can listen. We all work for different intelligence agencies. American, British, German, Colombian, Chinese. But now we have a common enemy. And if we don't stop them, they'll start World War III. So we need to join forces. So this is a movie uh, from uh, the director of the critically acclaimed film X-Men Dark Phoenix. Um, <laughs> and the synopsis from Letterboxd is as follows. A group of top female agents from government agencies around the globe try to stop an organization from acquiring a deadly weapon to send the world into chaos. Now, I will preface this by saying uh, it is this is very much a January uh, release. Um, and, uh, un it's unfortunately not the sum of its parts. Uh, Heath, what did you think of the three, five, five? Uh, i did not like this movie. Uh, I was sitting on, uh, it might be okay for a while, but, uh, as the movie progressed and especially the ending epilogue scene, and then as I've sat on it for a few days now and let it festered inside me, I just, I don't like this movie. It, it is actively bad. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was just about my experience, too. Although I think, you know, there's a lot of stuff that could have been good here, I think, yep. had it been done differently. Uh, and I like I, I don't think this is a like it's not a terrible movie. 
I just think it's it it does nothing new. It does nothing original. It's so blatantly uninteresting that it's it's just a slog to sit through, despite being you know a, a pretty cool two hours. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I I will say I didn't have any particular faith in this movie, uh, knowing who directed it and knowing when it was releasing. I I think it was originally set to go out January twenty twenty one, and they pushed it back a full year. Yeah. Um, just, and, and I mean, the fact that they stuck with January, I feel like is, is a pretty damning sign. Yeah. It's very indicative of the confidence that the studio had in the project itself and the reality that the producers had of knowing what was on their hands to be like, yeah, no, we can't really do anything other than January. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which is, which is really unfortunate because there, there are a lot of, talented people in this movie we have jessica yes. chastain lapina nyong'o uh sebastian stan in there for a little bit penelope cruz diane kruger uh fan bingbing you know i mean like the the lead cast of actresses are all quite talented and quite good in other things and i like i think the acting is fine but it's it's just not at least in my opinion it, it just doesn't elevate the material as i was slightly hoping that it would yeah, I would say that that's that's my one uh, component of the film that I actually liked the most, and it is the performances, it is the actors, but it's just as you said, and I said it in my review, I don't think it's gone live to Sif Pop yet, but it will eventually, that uh, the actors can't save something that's unsalvageable. Uh, it doesn't matter how much they're giving the film, uh, if the script is not giving them anything back to work with, it's irrelevant. Uh, and I think that you can see that just in the performances. You literally have three amazing women here who have all been nominated for Oscars before, two of which have won in Lupita Nyong'o uh, and uh, Penelope Cruz. Jessica Chastain has been nominated, and I would bet she's going to be nominated again this year, maybe even have a chance at winning. Uh, mm-hmm. These are really talented people. Diane Kruger, uh, if I'm being completely honest, the most I know her from is National Treasure. National Treasure. I, I love <laughs> I love that movie. I watch it a lot. I've seen her in a couple other things, but that's the the role I think of when I think of her. So seeing her in this is a completely different structured character, a real badass. Uh, you know, there's a lot of interesting elements here, and they're they're trying. Lupito is clearly in some scenes getting incredibly emotional and other things scenes getting very angry. Jessica Chastain has a real uh, edge to her where the, if you break me, I'm going to, you know, God help whoever's in my way. Like that's all there and they're doing great work. Uh, But the script is just doing them no favors whatsoever. There's almost, it's almost impossibly salvageable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which, you know, given, um, you know, given, uh, the the person that it came from, co-writer and director Simon Kinberg, um, you know, th- there wasn't too much. I believe Dark Phoenix was his directorial debut, um, yes. and it just it just sucks that you know, like I mean, he he did a decent job as far as I know producing uh, most of the the X Men movies in the last ten years, um, and and so so you know the guy is good at something, um, but it's it's just unfortunate that it seems that writing and directing at least you know. Maybe he's been given bad odds, but I, I, I doubt it. I, I mean, after two, it just seems like it's it's a pretty, you know, it's a pretty solid um, thing. But yeah, I, apparently this is something that they came up with while doing Dark Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Chastain, who was yeah. in that film, apparently pitched the idea of a female-led super spy movie 
to Kinberg and he, he took the ball and ran with it. And I'm a, a big proponent of, I like to give people second chances. There's a lot going into dark Phoenix that was working against it. All right, fine. That one didn't work out. You give them a second chance. But now after this, I, I have zero interest in seeing anything that this guy works on in the future. Yeah. I, I clearly don't think that he has the skill set and the tools. Uh, it's not even just in the plot that's incredibly flawed, like you said. This just feels like uh, a narrative espionage thriller that you've seen before. Like the, I could copy-paste this from almost any other film, and I'm going to get 90% of the film exactly mm-hmm. accurate. Uh, all the twists and turns that you would think would be in a film of this nature are going to be there. This is entirely predictable. Nothing's going to shock you. Uh, it really just becomes one giant long MacGuffin fetch quest. And even after they catch the MacGuffin, they lose it again. So they have to catch it again. So they have to lose it again. I lost track of how many times that happened. Like yeah. it's just, it's just bad. And the only salvageable part that you would hope for is at least maybe it has good action scenes, but it doesn't even have that. It's, horribly shot you can't see anything that's happening in these action sequences it's cut and edited terribly i remember there was one flip in particular that had four cuts on it i'm just like this this is reaching the levels of taken and jumping over a fence it's it's insufferable yeah uh yeah you know most of the action was pretty indecipherable um there was a like so there's a turn a story turn that happens hour and a half maybe hour 15 20 minutes into this movie that i called literally an hour before that like like there was something that happened about an like 20 30 minutes into the movie and i was like well i I mean he's you know this is gonna turn out to be this way right and of yeah. course it was um everything that you've seen in this movie has been done so many times before and better in better many times and uh, honestly i'm gonna say worse some other times sure. um but you know this just hits right it just i don't know how many times i can say that it's unoriginal but it is and yeah. that's really what it comes down to at least for me i really wish that this movie had been so bad it's good you know that yes. that, that that type of bad movie vibe because th- those are fun those are a lot of fun but but again that goes back yeah. to the disparagement where the actors are trying like exactly. chastain and nuango are are giving us something so you can't have that it's so bad it's good when your performers are trying to emote and give us something to care about but then the script is the exact opposite there's a disconnect there that's irreparable yeah. Yeah. And, and th- there's just something about, you know, these incredibly talented actors saying lines that just feel so forced, but they're, they're, they're trying so hard to, to, to deliver them in the way that natural people would when mm-hmm. real people don't say, li- don't say lines like that, even in, you know, the, these type of spy movies. I mean, there are some scenes where they say, oh, you know, it's, it wouldn't happen this way. It, you know, it, ha- it only happens that way in spy movies and, you know, movies like this think they're clever by pointing that out, but th- that just kind of a- annoys me more because yeah. it's, it's pointing out what, you know, w- what is going on, but that doesn't fix anything J- just because they're pointing it out. doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. Well, it, it, ironically, that goes back to scream. It's okay to point it out and it's okay to be meta, but you can only do that if you're going to do something in service of the film that subverts that meta and scream the whole franchise, all those movies, those are about that. So when 
this movie does it though and it says oh that would only happen in a cheesy action movie but then you still go and do that thing it's like you didn't learn the lesson that you state earlier that you've learned because you're already making fun of it either you have learned the lesson and in which case you would have subverted it or you didn't learn the lesson and in which case you shouldn't make the meta joke because you're going to do that thing anyway Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely um, you know, th- I, I don't really have too much to say about this other than I didn't have a really fun time watching it and I will probably never watch it again, especially if I can help it. I only have one more thing to say. Mm-hmm. I would concur that I'm never going to watch it again. The thing that bothers me, sneaky bothers me the most is twofold and it all deals with the epilogue. One, the title of this movie. It is called The 355 in reference to a supposed uh, female spy that was the lone female spy of the United States that was hired by George Washington. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds interesting to me. Yeah, I would I like would to know more that of that. <laughs> well, I would rather see that movie, but or at least I would like to know more about it. But what I just said here is already longer and spent more time on the subject than the movie itself spends on the subject. The movie gives it literal one sentence, one line of dialogue in the epilogue at the very end of the film. Why can't that be part of the movie? That sounds interesting. Why can't almost like National Treasure? Like, show me a, a prologue, give me a five to ten minute cold opening where yes, there was this spy, the three fifty five, hired by George Washington, and throughout the years, here we are a couple hundred years later, and every generation we've had a new three fifty five, and it keeps on going. Like, build world build with that. That's something you could use in this movie. Just completely flounders and doesn't use that incredible piece of natural world building that they could have put into effect. Uh, And the other thing is tying into that epilogue is at the very end, Chastain, and I'm slightly spoiling, but I don't think it's really going to spoil too much, (laughs) but Chastain goes on a diatribe where she kind of does a little monologue to the villain saying, you're not going to gaslight us. You're not going to mansplain to me. You're not going to do this. You're not going to do that. And I found that incredibly demeaning and frustrating. I am not a woman. Big shock if you're hearing me right now or if you can see me on the video. I'm not a woman. I am a man. But I consider myself a feminist and I want what's best for women. I want that level of equality. Women are just as capable of doing anything as a man is. So when you do this whole movie and you are showing me how the women are being gatekeeped and they're being gaslit, that's getting your message across. I don't then need you to have your main character go on a monologue about it at the end of the movie. Now you're insulting my intelligence and you're undoing everything that you've done throughout the entire movie as if we didn't watch the entire movie. And I would have to imagine, because it bothered me as a man, that as a feminist woman, this would be even more frustrating. Like, dude, yes, we get the point. We know that they were gaslighting the characters the whole movie. We know that they were gatekeeping. We know that they were mansplaining. We know that they were demeaning them. Like, what What are you doing? That it just, it's like, even when the movie tries to have a message, it completely blunders the message. It's mm-hmm. just ugh, so disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I never had high hopes for this movie. And I got to say, it turned out exactly as I thought. Um, yep. So, yeah. Uh, if you were to give it a letter grade, Heath, what would you what would you give it? D plus. D plus. I am right there in that camp with you. D plus all the way. Uh, not Disney plus. D plus. Nope. <laughs> uh, uh, so now uh, we are going to move on to our next film, uh, which has been in theaters for a while, but I'm sort of catching up on my 2020 movies now. Uh, so we are going to talk about Come On, Come On. 
To visit planet Earth, you will have to be born as a human child. Are you a hug? And first, you will have to learn to use your new body to move your arms and legs. You will learn to walk and run, to use your hands to make sounds and form words. There will be so much for you to learn and so much for you to feel. Sadness, joy, disappointment, and wonder. You will grow up, travel, and work. Over the years, you will try to make sense of that happy, sad, full, always shifting life you are in. And when the time comes to return to your star, it may be hard to say goodbye to that strangely beautiful world. Damn this book. You're crying. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. You're definitely crying. Say you're crying. <laughs> a documentary filmmaker whose latest project involves gifted children bonds with his smart yet sensitive nephew whose father struggles with bipolar disorder and is in the grips of a manic episode uh so this is a new film from mike mills starring joaquin phoenix as uh, the as the documentary filmmaker um and uh, yeah this was a movie that i'd been wanting to watch for a while i'd heard great things about it from pretty much everyone um and uh yeah and i uh heath i know uh we both watched it watched it today right mm-hmm. yes um, yeah so uh, w- uh what did you think of uh come on come on uh, i thought it was good uh i don't think it's the greatness that i'm seeing a lot of people uh uh state it to be um obviously maybe they're seeing something that i'm not and that's highly possible uh but i did definitely think it was good it's it's definitely a worthwhile film Mm-hmm. yeah um yeah i really really liked it i think i liked it a little bit more than you um this is a movie where not a lot happens plot wise uh it's really about the characters it's about the philosophy um it's about what they're saying rather about what uh what they're doing um mm-hmm. and uh yeah so uh the nephew of Joaquin phoenix is played by woody norman a uh, young actor who um who i was impressed with uh and i i had the He's foreknowledge awesome. Yes, he is so good, and um, I had read a while ago that he is actually British, and he does like for a for an eleven or twelve year old, he does an impeccable American accent. If that I is hadn't perfect. Known, yeah, I, I didn't know. Yeah, yep. Um, it, it it just blew my mind. Um, and you know he, you know, I mean, Walking Phoenix is great. Uh, I have never seen a bad Walking Phoenix performance, but this kid, I mean. I, I love child actors when they're great, uh, and, and Woody Norman, he steals the show every single scene, every single moment he's in, because he, he, he acts exactly like a real kid. I know that's, you know, I mean, of course he's acting, he, he has to act like a real kid, but a lot of child actors, you know, they, they tend to play characters that aren't as, as similar to real children as they could be, like, um, I'll use Ghostbusters Afterlife as a recent example, you know, like, um, McKenna Grace in that movie does not act like a child the age that she's supposed to be playing, does not act like 
not a at child all. <laughs> that age would. Exactly. But Woody Norman just does such a fantastic job in playing, I believe the character is nine years old, in playing, you know, a precocious nine-year-old who's who is kind of an asshole sometimes, but in like a cute, charming, adorable way. Uh, and and he has all these questions for Walking Phoenix, you know, maybe like like he's pretty he's pretty philosophical for his age, but I think it, that you know children say the darndest things, they ask the darndest yeah. questions. Um, and this movie, I, I I think I wrote in my review that um, I want to be a dad someday, and this movie both uh, terrified me and made me very very excited uh, to have children because it just you know I mean this come on come on it portrays the joys and the difficulties of of having a child and it and and i came away with the feeling that you know despite you know everything that might be difficult about it it's it's ultimately a very rewarding experience um and uh, yeah so yeah i i would agree uh i actually am a father i have two kids uh, myself uh one is seven and uh one is 19 months um i I found it to be very true to form. I found it to be very moving. I thought the emotional responses for both the children and the adults uh, were terrific. Uh, it felt very weird, real. It felt genuine. Uh, it felt grounded. There's no other way I can say it. You know, like when the kid goes missing and uh, Joaquin is freaking out and, you know, everything's resolved. They, they find the kid just a few seconds later. That's normally how it is, but that's, also enough time to get your heart racing and frighten you to a degree that you've never been frightened in your life. And all he can think to do is I have to call my sister and I have to rant about this because I don't know how else to handle my feelings or mm -hmm. uh, the, the kid just being like, no, you guys are being jerks and, and no one's listening to me. I just, I just want you to hear me. Even if you don't agree, that's fine. Just acknowledge that I'm upset right now. And like, these are such uh, real emotions, so relatable that you can't help but be empathetic to these characters and understand where they're going from. Uh, I felt that it doesn't even matter who you are or what you've been through in your life. You could watch this movie and you will be able to get something out of this movie. And even better, everyone that does watch this movie will probably get something different out of this movie. Uh, it just speaks to so many different aspects of life on so many different wavelengths that I can't imagine someone couldn't pull something from this, uh, experience that's beautiful it doesn't matter who you are or what you've been through in life uh you'll be able to find some way to connect to it and i think that's incredibly powerful mm -hmm. yeah um you know it, there's there are occasional scenes in here of um of walking phoenix doing uh his job interviewing uh children uh for his documentary or or audio thing or whatever he's whatever he's he, he's making um and i you know, those scenes were kind of hit or miss for me in terms of, you know, actually, you know, most of them weren't entirely relevant to the plot. Uh, but, you know, not that, as I mentioned before, not that there is a concrete, you know, storyline that it needs to be adhering to. Um, but, you know, a, a lot of them say a lot of thought provoking uh, things exactly like I think, you know, some children would react to, you know, questions like what happens after we die? Uh, and, you know, uh, questions like, you know, what superpower would we like to have? You know, those questions are really exciting for kids and, and just to see uh, um, and, 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 and just to hear those like incredibly genuine sounding reactions from, from the, from the children um, I thought was just very, you know, it, it, it just, 
I took a lot of warm feelings away from this movie, uh, and 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 that's that's what I think. That's what I got out of it personally, um, as someone with little to no experience actually, you know, taking care of children on on my own so far. Um, that is that is what I personally got out of it. Sure, um, and that leads me to a little bit of the things that. I mean, negative is, is a harsh word. I think this movie is, is really solid. Uh, but things that didn't work for me. Uh, and that is all of the interviews with the kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that the interviews have a purpose. There definitely is resonant reason to have these interviews because the film also is diving into not just how we handle our emotions, which is the main crux of the film, but also how we relate to other generations and how they handle their emotions, how they're responding to us and really what the, the next generation thinks of the world and where it's been left and where do we go from here? That's a very key component. So I think the, the interviews are necessary. However, the structure in which we receive these interviews, the pacing throughout the movie is incredibly jarring to me. Uh, I understand that narratively, we are seeing these interviews because Joaquin's character is going to New York to do some interviews, going to New Orleans to do some interviews. So we have to follow him. But that doesn't mean that the, we, the audience, the moviegoer, has to see the interviews. I think it would have been so much more poignant if we knew he was going to those interviews and then we saved all those interviews for like the end. Or we like did some at the beginning to set up the movie and then did the rest at the end. Uh having them intermixed throughout the film felt very jarring to me, especially when we're having some of these really wholesome, genuine, pure moments between Joaquin and uh, his nephew. uh, And I've already forgotten the kid's name. uh, Uh, Woody Woody Norman. Norman. uh, That these moments, those those were the moments that I, I loved and I was enjoying the heck out of. And they'd just be stunted sometimes because we had to cut to an interview and it just felt off putting. Uh, So I think that the, those should have been in there, but I don't think that they should have been intersected and spaced throughout the whole film. Um, another thing that rubbed me the wrong way is the cinematography. And now I know a lot of people are really loving it. And, I, and I'll say it's beautiful. I'm not saying the film doesn't look pretty. It does. But if you are going to make your film in black and white, it should serve a purpose uh, because we are in an age of color. So if you're going to do black and white, Give it narrative purpose, like the artist, you're invoking the silent film era, so you're going back to do that. Or something like Belfast that came out recently, you're using it to give the feeling of nostalgia uh, as though you're a child looking through the lens of time, like on a retro television. There's purpose to it. Or in Wizard of Oz, we're literally in the real world where it's black and white, and then we go to Oz and we're full of color. There's value in that. Or Schindler's List is another great one where we're just evoking emotion in by showing how much despair there is in the world. There's almost no narrative purpose or emotional purpose for this film to be in black and white. I found mm-hmm. it to be distracting almost because uh, the whole time I'm like, gosh, this scene could look really nice in color. Well, like when they're playing in the park together and they're just like yelling and screaming their heads off. I It just... It felt like the film was wanting to be artsy for the sake of being artsy. And there's that pretentiousness that I I don't respond well to. Again, I'm not saying it wasn't pretty. It was very well shot in black and white. It looks gorgeous. I just don't see a purpose for it to be in black and white. Maybe, going back to the interviews thing, maybe you do the interviews in black and white. That you give that cold, surreal, grounded moment of, 
okay, these are the interviews. These are the real life documentary style interviews from kids grounded in reality. We're showing these in black and white because they're separated from the rest of our story. And then the emotional narrative structure between an uncle and a nephew that's in color and vibrant and full of life. And it just, it, it I wish that had been the case, but it's just not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I completely agree. I, uh, my dad popped in while I was watching this today and I asked him why he thinks it's in black and white. And he watched a couple minutes and then he said, well, it's, it's emotionally evocative. And I asked him emotionally evocative of what? And he, uh, and he, he walked out to do, I don't know, vacuum or something. Um, <laughs> but I, uh, yeah, I, I totally, uh, agree with you. I think, you know, interspersing black and white and color would have been, um, would have been the best choice. I think that's, that's honestly looks much better stylistically. Um, and I think it would, uh, in, like enhance a lot of the a lot of the feelings that it wants you to feel because a lot of you know scenes as you mentioned that could have been beautiful just felt a little muted uh and 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 you know colorless because they were literally colorless um and i just think that there's that there's a lot more that could have uh been done there um i also want to uh just just mention uh my my favorite scene in the movie uh, was uh, near the end where uh, Joaquin and his nephew are in a forest uh, and they are yelling about how uh, it's okay to be not fine and their feelings matter and you know they can be as loud as they want uh, and th- that scene just felt very real to me and it made me very happy to watch um, so yeah I, I just wanted to want, wanted to shout it uh, that that was my favorite scene as well again I think it goes back to what the whole film is trying to say is that emotional health is just as important as physical health and how so long as you're not hurting anyone or you're not hurting yourself go ahead and express your emotions it doesn't matter what time of day it is where you are if you're feeling angry be angry if you're sad be sad and if you're feeling joy and you want to be happy be happy and there's nothing wrong with that in fact that's beautiful and i i loved that message Mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely Uh, a letter grade from you sir uh i would probably give it an a minus an A minus. Um, yeah, yeah, we are in agreement. I would also uh, give give an A minus. You know, it's not it's not a masterpiece, but I had a, I enjoyed it. Uh, it. It was never boring. So yeah. Yep. Um, all right. So uh, we are going to move on to coming attractions and my size because we're still in January. Uh, first, we are going to <laughs> hey, at least uh, there's one movie I'm excited. It's about. true. It's true. There's one. There's one. It's I, I, I haven't done my most anticipated of 2022 yet, but the one that we are going to talk about is like, I, I think it's number two on my list. Uh, so anyway, but first, before we do that, we are going to talk about Hotel Transylvania Transformania. Uh, Adam Sandler finally said, screw this and got out of here. Um, uh, yeah, and honestly, I would too. There's really, uh, you know, I did not see the third movie. I saw the first and the second one. I thought they were fine, uh, but I did not really care about seeing this franchise continue. But apparently, some people did, and Amazon Prime wanted it enough that they got it for a hundred million dollars. So, uh, if you have Amazon Prime, you don't have to pay for this. Thank goodness. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, Heath, uh, any any and all opinions about Hotel Transylvania Four? <laughs> Well, I am the perfect counter to you for this. I have not seen the first two, but I have oh. seen the third one. Uh, so this was a franchise that I actively avoided. Um, mm. But then my kid wanted to watch it. So <laughs> I did the dad thing and I watched. And the, the one that she wanted to watch was the third one. 
I don't know why not the first two, but <laughs> she loves the third one. She loves, there's like this techno music scene that she loves mm-hmm. anyway. Uh, so that's the one I've seen. I've seen it like three or four times. Never seen the others. Uh, I'll probably watch this because my kid will probably want to watch it. I might go back and watch the first two just so I have context of not that it will probably matter, but just so that I'm aware of everything these characters have gone through. Um, and it, it's fine. It's a simple Fred kid friendly children's movie. Like it's, it's not meant to blow our socks off. It never was. It's a good paycheck for, or at least it was for Sandler and the gang. Now it's just the gang Sandler's out, uh, which will be interesting. I actually want to see how well this guy does a Sandler voice impression that they got to take his mm-hmm. place. Uh, but yeah, I, otherwise I don't care. It's, it's, it's a movie for the kids. I hope yeah. the kids will be happy. <laughs> exactly. Um, I do, you know, when they first announced that this movie was happening, of course, I rolled my eyes. But then I, I, I read the synopsis, and it does intrigue me a little bit. Uh, Van Helsing arrives, and he, ha- he has a quote-unquote monsterification ray. And so all the monsters are transformed into humans, and all the humans are transformed into monsters. So, you know, it's... Nice at least slightly interesting and not just doing the same old thing. But I mean, you know, it's probably going to end up being, you know, power of love, save help, uh, rescues all and that, that, <laughs> well, that, yeah. that kind of thing, which is, you know, something cheesy that we don't like. Exactly. But, but, you know, there's a reason that movies keep going back to it. It's because it works and, you know, kids seem to enjoy these movies. So yeah, sure. I'll, I'll probably watch this one. I don't know if I'm going to end up watching the third one beforehand. Cause there's not a ton of continuity in these movies. Um, you know, aside from like the big things like, uh, you know, Selena Gomez, Mavis gets pregnant and has a kid and the kid is a giant dog or something. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, you know, one thing that's always that I've always that I liked about the first two movies is that like the cast is honestly pretty fantastic. You know, at, like Adam Sandler is at least dedicated to to giving like a kind of a wackadoodle performance. Um, and, you know, we got Steve Buscemi in there, uh, David Spade, Keegan-Michael Key, uh, Andy Samberg. I love Andy Samberg, Selena Gomez, you know, like some pretty talented actors here. Um, yep. It's it's just that and, and, and the premise is fun. Uh, it's just that the movies are just sort of OK. Uh, but then again, they are not made for an almost 20 year old. Uh, they are made for about 10 years yeah they're certainly not made for me i'm a 35 year old so it's uh yeah it again i hope the kids are happy i don't expect it to be good remotely i just i hope it's at least entertaining enough that when i am forced to watch it i won't hate myself (laughs) exactly (laughs) um excellent so that was hotel transylvania 4 next we are going to talk about the one the the only scream uh inappropriately titled uh as it is the fifth one in the franchise but yes. i can see what they're going for uh in the in the sort of reboot sequel legacy sequel type of thing like they yeah. did for halloween and texas chainsaw um but yeah and yeah it's uh, clearly gonna be a meta take on the remake reboot situation mm-hmm. they did the you know the first three were a parody on horror movies a sequel and then a, a trilogy rounder and then the fourth one was a parody on remakes. So uh, this one, I think, will be a parody on reboots, uh, mm. which there is nuanced difference between a remake and a reboot. So, And I agree. I wish it had been Scream 5 for continuity's sake, but I totally understand, given the meta nature of this franchise, why this is just Scream. Right. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, uh, as I mentioned, I have not done uh, the uh, most anticipated of 2022 episode will be out February 1st, uh, but I will just spoil it and say Scream is number three on my list. I am ridiculously excited for this movie. Uh, I love the franchise. I love horror movies in general, but Scream is just the first one is just so classic and I have a soft spot in my heart for the other ones, even Scream 3. Um, but I, I, I just think, you know, the fact that they've brought the entire main cast back now it'll be four for four sequels is just mind boggling that the cast seems to love working on these movies enough to keep coming back. Um, and you know, it's, it's going to be different without Wes Craven doing this one, but I've been hearing a lot, a lot of positive buzz, um, about this one. Uh, so it looks like, um, you know, the guys who were doing it radio silence did ready or not, which I also really, really love. Um, so yeah. I, I, I will say that I, I do think the franchise is in capable hands, at least for now. Yeah, I uh speaking of most anticipated, I have it as number 12 on my most anticipated list and yeah, I it's you know Craven was uh, a mastermind of horror. Uh A Nightmare on Elm Street is probably my favorite horror franchise even though it doesn't always have the best entries. I just I love the concept and I love the character Freddy. Um and you know Scream is terrific. So it will be interesting to see but like you said Ready or Not was fantastic. So I have faith that this will uh, pull it out. Yeah, I mean, even um, even Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, the ones that Craven did are, are in my opinion, the best. The, in the two franchise. best ones. Now, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, New Nightmare was one was the first nightmare movie I ever saw. Um, yeah. Weirdly enough, and I I love that movie. It's probably near the top of my favorite horror movies. Yeah, New um, Nightmare. If for those who haven't seen it, and I'm assuming most of you haven't, because it was one of the least watched. Its box office was terrible back in the day. Uh, but, uh, and it was it was and remains, unless you count Freddy versus Jason. What I count that as a crossover thing. Uh, but it's the last true nightmare movie. Uh, other than the remake but again that's i'm talking the original run. the last true nightmare movie. yeah the last true nightmare movie was this one and for those who haven't seen it it is the precursor for scream like mm-hmm. go watch that and you will see exactly why wes made scream it is all about the meta-ness of survivor horror films and oh it's great <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah 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 definitely um but yeah, uh, I you know I've I've seen a lot of rumblings in in the uh, in the ether about you know like uh, you know when they were filming this movie, I remember you know the actors, the filmmakers were coming out and saying like you know like there are so many twists and turns, it's going to be hard to edit trailers because you know there's a like like there are so many you know uh, twists and such, and I just I I purely myself want one thing, uh, I would love Matthew Lillard to come back as Stu from the first movie, uh, because for years Lillard has been saying that his character who was one of the original killers, uh, is still alive. And I would love nothing more, uh, than for him. I, I think it's the perfect time. Just bring Matthew Lillard back and you will make me even happier. So is that Canon that he didn't die? I, I, I don't think it's Canon because I, I think only Lillard has said that, but, um, scream three, he was going to be the antagonist in scream three, orchestrating everything from prison, um, but then I think um, the uh, the um, there were some I think I think there was a shooting. Uh, th- this was this was before I was born, so I'm not as you know as up to date on the knowledge. Um, so definitely correct me if I'm wrong. But I believe there was a shooting, uh, and they um, and they, they they changed around the entire plot of the movie while they were writing. Oh wow! 
So that's um, actually news to me. Uh, mm-hmm. So speaking of my my history with the franchise, I am one of those people that I saw Scary Movie before I saw mm. Scream. Um, uh, but when I was younger, I did not care for horror franchises. Horror just wasn't my thing. Uh, I didn't like being scared, and I found many of them to be repetitive and redundant, so I just avoided them. Um, so, of course, a comedy making fun of horror movies, that was my jam. <laughs> Years later, when I went and saw the original Scream, it, I mean, it is literally scary movie is scream like they are the, if you've seen them both they are the same exact plot to a t now they they'll throw in more jokes of of other horror franchises and because scream uh had been out for a while by the time scary movie came out i think scream 2 and maybe even 3 had come out so like they even do some jokes about scream 2 uh but the basic plot is the first scream movie so for me it kind of ruined uh the shock twist ending uh, because I already knew it was coming because of Scary Movie. But at the mm. same time, I was able to recognize the impact that that would have had because at the time, that wasn't a known quantity. And at the time, horror movies weren't done that way. There weren't two killers pretending to be one person. There weren't like all this meta... like. So I still vehemently love the original Scream. I've since gone on to watch the entire franchise and I've really enjoyed it. And, and I, like I said, it's number 12 on my anticipation list. I'm looking forward to the new one. Uh, but I, unfortunately, I don't have the knowledge, even though I was alive and I probably should have known, uh, what happened. I, uh, I, I just didn't keep track of that kind of stuff back then. Yeah. So that's interesting to hear that it was redone. And if Lillard is alive, his character, and, uh, they're going to bring him back. I think that would be hilarious and I am all for it. Mm, Yes, absolutely. So a quick little, um, a quick little, uh, Google search here, uh, tells me that, um, that yes, uh, Lillard was uh, originally planned to be the main antagonist in Scream Three, uh, masterminding everything from uh, the uh, from prison. But then the Columbine High School shooting happened uh, April twentieth, nineteen ninety nine, uh, and um, and so the the plot was completely altered. I am not as familiar with the details of Columbine, so I don't know how that tied in specifically to um, him being orchestrating it from prison. Maybe there was something there. Um, but yeah, I don't yeah, think so. it has anything to do with him being from prison. But if you remember, Scream Three very quickly became about how horror movies influence uh, real life mm-hmm. uh, violence, and yeah. that was a huge undercurrent thread throughout the entire course of the movie, where they kept referencing it that the studio should stop making these movies because it makes kids violent in real life, uh, and that was directly in response to the Columbine shootings, in which case almost all of major mainstream media started saying this is the fault of scream or this is the fault of these movies, or this is the fault of video games. And I think uh, that's probably more as to why it got changed than him mm-hmm. being a mastermind from prison. Right. Cause that had nothing to do with Columbine. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Um, yeah. But, uh, but, but to go back to uh, the franchise, you know, scream is one of the few horror franchises that is, pretty solid in its quality i mean i mean you know yep. with with movies like you know nightmare and friday the 13th you know there are so many entries that there are some fun ones and there are some absolutely terrible ones um but you know scream has and you know has been a pretty um pretty solid in terms of quality you know barring scream 3 which is not great but it's not terrible either um i think yeah. scream continues to be pretty fantastic in terms of its overall quality agreed mm-hmm. yeah 
Um, so that's Scream. Uh, Scream and Hotel Transylvania are coming out on January 14th. Hotel Transylvania will be on Amazon Prime and Scream will be exclusively in theaters. I'll be there January 13th, Thursday night, 7 p.m. And I am so excited. Uh, next up, coming out January 21st, is The King's Daughter. Uh, when I first saw the synopsis for this movie, I didn't think it was real. Uh, it just <laughs> seems too, like, it, it just seems crazy. Uh, and, you know, granted, uh, I don't know if this is going to be bad because it's a January release or great because it's a January release. Uh, I'm just going to read the synopsis here. Um, King Louis the Fourteenth's quest for immortality leads him to capture and steal a mermaid's life force, a move that is further complicated by his illegitimate daughter's discovery of the creature. Um, yeah, I don't even know what genre this would fall into. Um, but, uh, yeah, this has, um, uh, Pierce Brosnan plays Louis the 14th. Uh, we have, um, uh, Kyla, uh, Kaya, uh, Skull Delaro, uh, recently from, uh, Resident Evil, Welcome to Raccoon City, that masterpiece. Um, <laughs> you know, we have uh, Julie Andrews narrating the 355 star, uh, Fan Bingbing plays the mermaid, uh, William Hurt in here as well. Um, yeah, uh. Heath, do you have any opinion about this movie that I only heard about like a week ago? <laughs> I, I have no opinion about it. The reviews I've seen from friends that I trust uh, or the few things that have leaked online uh, don't give me much hope for it. Uh, I I think the concept, frankly, would probably work better as a Disney Channel original movie. But that's just me. And I don't think that uh, I will care to see this one. I'll probably still end up seeing it because I'd like to see every movie that comes out or at least i like to try to uh but now nah, th this one just kind of seems silly yeah uh quite strange you know i i don't know how they come up with these premises uh i <laughs> you know i mean it, it just it looks just interesting enough for me to see it i think i i added it um to the uh, to the podcast schedule for not the next episode but the episode afterward uh just because i would love an excuse to see it and putting it on the podcast is the perfect way to do that i think i only saw uh come on come on now uh because i put it on the podcast i've been pushing it off for a weird reason um <laughs> but uh yeah so the king's daughter is uh, exclusively in theaters i believe uh, i i this screams direct to streaming to me uh, yeah from from the premise but Again, I it feels like a Disney. I know. In fact, I know Disney Channel has a movie where someone becomes a mermaid. Uh, so, like, it, it just it feels so silly and juvenile to me. But at the same time, it's funny, and I can't believe they got Pierce Brosnan to be King Louis, uh, and like William Hurt is in this too. Like, actually talented people. So, I'll, I'll give it a try just to laugh at it, but I don't expect it to be good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um... Next up, also coming out on the 21st, another theatrical original uh, is uh, Redeeming Love, a movie I had heard nothing about. Uh, this is a retelling of the biblical book of Hosea, Hosea? I'm, I, I'm not religious, uh, set against the backdrop of the California gold rush of 1850. On Letterboxd, this has one rating, and it is five stars. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think that's indicative of, of, of the movie, at least from what I've heard. Um, but yeah, uh, this movie does not look interesting to me at all, and I will do whatever I can not to see it. Um, yeah. I don't yeah, know. I'm just going to copy that. I have no interest in this whatsoever. I actually remember seeing a trailer for this mm -hmm. uh, a couple weeks ago when I was seeing another movie, and uh, I remember laughing at the trailer, just thinking that this looked ridiculous. And so, yeah, I intend to never see this, and uh, that would be just fine by me. 
Yep, absolutely. Uh, now we are going to move on into the spotlight as we are talking about the 355 this week. Um, I think uh, it would be fun uh, to talk about our favorite spy movies, our top five favorites to be specific. Uh, we are going to go alternating. I'll do my number five. Heath will do his and then we'll go back and forth. Um, I'm going to preface this by saying I have not seen nearly as many spy movies as I thought I did and as I would like <laughs> to. So uh, there are there is a franchise that shows up more than once on this list. Uh, and there are some honorable mentions uh, that I will talk about later. I'm sure Heath has some as well. Um, but uh, yeah, I'll just jump in with my number five. Uh, my f- number five is Men in Black 3. Uh, I, w- I should probably should have put the first one on the list, but I honestly like the third entry in this franchise much more than any of the other ones. Maybe it's the fact that there's time travel involved which is my favorite plot device ever uh maybe it's the fact that jermaine clement plays an absolutely insane villain that i could watch all day and maybe it's the fact that josh brolin is great as a young tommy lee jones uh but i don't know uh this is my favorite entry of the franchise i love you know time travel like like the men in black are such an iconic concept at this point um, and, and, and just to see, uh, you know, to see how they would fare in the 1960s is just so incredibly entertaining. You know, I, I, I remember being so weirded out when Bill Hader shows up as an, like an alien Andy Warhol. And I was like, what am I watching right now? And why do I love it? Um, but, uh, yeah, so my number five is, uh, men in black three. Uh, and also I forgot to mention, uh, we will be going by Trump rules. So if okay. one of us so happens to have the other one, uh, if one of us so happens to have one on the list that the other one mentions and it's higher up the list, uh, you have the ability to Trump it and we will come back to it, uh, when the higher one on the list comes up. So Heath, your number five. Well, I'd like to comment on Men in Black three first. Uh, I didn't, I didn't even think of uh, the Men in Black because I was thinking spy in terms of you know like countries versus countries or like right. You know, I didn't even think of secret agent in terms of dealing with aliens, literal sci-fi aliens, not like illegal aliens or something like that. And I just, uh, yeah, uh, I think it's crazy to think the third one's better than the first, but I do love the third one. The third one is a lot of fun. and it's significantly better than the second one. That one's a hunk of garbage. Uh, but uh, yeah, so that that's a good movie. Uh, my number five um, was kind of a toss-up for me. Uh, I p- tried to play a little bit by different rules. I tried to limit myself uh, by franchise um, because my favorite franchise of all time is the James Bond 007 franchise. And if I mm-hmm. was just doing my favorite spy movies, I'm pretty sure three of these top five would just be bond. So to keep it a little bit more varied, I limited myself to one film per major spy franchise. So for number five, I am actually going to do uh, true lies. Uh, True lies was a film that came out in the nineties starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. It is a hilarious action hybrid uh, action comedy. Um, it stars uh, Schwarzenegger, who is a workaholic, obsessed spy who has completely neglected his family, in particular his wife, played by Jamie Lee Curtis, and his daughter, Eliza Dushku. And uh, the hilarious ramifications that come into play when his wife gets wrapped up in his spy life. And it's one of the earlier James Cameron films, maybe not earlier is the right one. One of his middle James Cameron films, it was after Terminator and aliens, but before he went 
and did Titanic and now Avatar, and he's been molding over Avatar 2 for over a decade. Uh, so it's full of action, full of comedy. Uh, it's got a great story to it. It's got some really cool action beats. Um, it's it's great. It's a good time. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, I did not limit myself uh, franchise-wise, as you'll be able to see from my next couple entries, um, because I've not seen, as I mentioned, as many spy movies as I would like. So my number four is uh, No Time to Die. Um, the latest film in the James Bond franchise uh, that came out just a couple of months ago. Uh, yes, I really, really love this movie. Um, it is not my favorite James Bond movie, as we'll soon see, uh, but it is definitely up there for me. Um, yeah, uh, this th- this movie was a lot of fun. It is entirely too long, and Rami Malek, uh, I'm not sure how I feel about him as a villain, uh, but I definitely really enjoyed most aspects of this film, especially how uh, especially how it um, you know, subverts a lot of expectations we might have about a 007 film and how it, you know, and, and, and how it, I'm not going to spoil it, but how it ends, uh, mm-hmm. is, is, is just the biggest subversion that I could think of. Um, but, uh, yeah, so this was, it's the perfect way to end Daniel Craig's, uh, James Bond tenure. Uh, and you know, I, I really love most aspects about it. It's, it's just a great, you know, country hopping, um, you know, uh, fun spy movie. So, yeah. yep, I really love it. Uh, again, huge Bond fan. No Time to Die, I thought was fantastic. So yeah, it's definitely worthy mm-hmm. of this list. Yeah. Um, right. My number four, I have The Bourne Ultimatum. Uh, mm-hmm. This is my James, uh, I mean my James, my Jason Bourne entry. <laughs> uh, I waffled between this and the original Bourne Identity because The Bourne Identity is such a great start to the franchise. Uh, and The Bourne Ultimatum require not requires but you're definitely going to get a lot more out of it if you'd seen earlier films in the franchise uh it's not really a standalone uh so to speak but if you have oh my gosh born ultimatum is the best one in the franchise i don't even think it's close uh it is fantastic and that says a lot because at least out of the first three entries in this franchise all three of them are spectacular so uh the born ultimatum great stuff uh matt damon absolutely killing it uh definitely worth your time and worth watching if you want a real cerebral espionage thriller mm-hmm. yeah see the born franchise is one of my big blind spots in terms of action franchises same with mission impossible i have not seen any of those ones either uh, although i plan we'll to get, binge we'll get them. there <laughs> yeah i i plan to binge them before uh before seven uh the seven yeah um but you know you, uh, so you will enjoy the binge it is i'm sure it. i'm sure yeah I've, I've heard they just keep getting better and better um yeah uh, yeah yeah we'll Other get there i'm too. sure <laughs> <laughs> um so my number three is uh casino royale uh from Trump. the uh the oh wait no 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 Never mind. Keep going. Keep going. Yeah. Uh, so the um, good, good. Uh, the 2008 one, not the 1967 one. Uh, mm-hmm. This was Daniel. Cra- so I'm following up Daniel Craig's last film as James Bond with his first film as James Bond. Um, this one was just it's just so much fun. You know, it, it makes poker interesting um, and exciting. And, uh, you know, I, I, I really like I think Eva Green is one of the is one of the better, quote unquote, Bond girls that we've got um, during especially during Craig's uh, tenure. And Mads Mikkel uh was personally my favorite uh villain of craig's uh time as 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 bond uh the the action is fantastic um and uh yeah yeah this one this one is 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 great as well 
Yeah, absolutely fantastic. One of the best reboots I've ever seen out of any franchise ever. Mm -hmm. I I said Trump in error there uh, because I switched this one out with a different James Bond film, which we'll get to Uh later. Uh, But it was originally on my list. But yeah, this this movie is spectacular. Absolutely love it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For number three, I have Argo. Uh, Argo was a best picture winner. Uh, I think back in 2012, this was a Ben Affleck directed film. He also starred in it, but it also had, uh, Alan Arkin, I believe was in it and John mm-hmm. Goodman. And, uh, it's based on the true story of an actual operative mission in which the United States worked to go and save a whole bunch of citizens that were trapped at the embassy, uh, in, I believe it was Iran. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, during the hostage uh, crisis in the Senate. yeah during the hostage crisis and uh, they worked uh, with Canada to get some people in there and it was all based off of a ruse that these agents were actually working for Hollywood and they were going into Iran to uh, scout for locations and and start production on a film and so they needed access to all these different areas and they were able to deceive the Iranian government so that they could get into Iran and get these people out of an embassy that was under siege. Uh, It is riveting stuff, especially the final scene at the airport. It is captivating. Very good. Yeah. I, this had totally slipped my mind. I, you know, on first glance, I wouldn't have associated this as being a spy movie, but it, it, it totally is. You know, if, if we're taking in all like the definition uh, as you, as you stated it. Um, but yeah, I, I also really love Argo. I saw it last summer for the first time. Uh, and it, there's just, it's, it, 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 it's one of the better best picture nominees in my opinion of, of, of the decade. Um, just because it, it manages to be a serious drama while also, you know, having some fun stuff in there, the scenes mm-hmm. where, um, where they're planning their fake movie are some of my favorites of the, of the, of the film, just because they're obviously having so much fun with it. And obviously I don't know what it was really like, but you know, the fictionalized version, just um, I, I had a lot of fun with that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah it's my... surprising for how serious it is, especially mm-hmm. given that it's about a true life story and there were real lives on the line. It's surprising how, much comedy is in this film yeah. uh, and that they're able to keep it lighthearted so that you're just not constantly nervous and stress filled the entire runtime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, truly uh, very, very entertaining. Um, so my number two, uh, taking a break from bond here for a minute is uh, Kingsman, the secret service uh, 2014 nice. adapted from a, uh, a Mark Millar comic. Um, yeah. Uh, this, I, was not allowed to see this when it came out. I was just a little bit too young. Um, but uh, yeah, I very much enjoyed this movie. Um, you know, the, the action is, is just so it's, it's just so uh, fantastical in its execution. Cause there's all these crazy gadgets and, and, and the uh, it's, it's shot very well. The action scenes are shot great. Um, and I just love Samuel L. Jackson as, as the villain. He, he is just perfectly um, handy. And this is just a great, you know, um, unlike Austin Powers, which is a very direct parody of of Bond, this is sort of like a um, it's 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 a parody of the spy of, of just spy movies and spy stories overall, and I think it it really works that way, especially um, from the from the perspective of Taron Egerton's character Eggsy uh, as as someone who is just getting into the spy uh, world instead of someone who who's already who who's been in it for a long time, like a like a Bond figure, um. 
but yeah uh and and also on on top of that it's incredibly violent super profane and just really really inappropriate all around um and yeah i if i had been able to see this when it came out my 11 year old self his mind would have been blown um but uh yeah so that's uh kingsman uh the secret yeah Service. i love kingsman um uh, i just recently went and saw the the prequel film mm-hmm. that's still in theaters uh that was that was okay uh but that first one is is truly magical i did see that in theaters opening weekend i remember it very vividly uh that sequence at the church is mm-hmm. one of the best choreographed edited action sequences in the history of film I, I would put that up against almost anything uh and I, it's just so riveting to watch that movie it's so much fun mm-hmm. yeah uh i believe i'm on my number two and my number two this is where i get into the mission impossible franchise and mine is mission impossible six uh mission impossible fallout which is the most recent one uh it really is true that it's this franchise other than taking a big dip for the second one uh, has gotten better with every entry. Uh, number one is great. Two is terrible. Three is okay. And from three on, it's just an uphill climb to spectacular uh, mission impossible six fallout is no exaggeration. One of the best action movies ever made period full stop. Um, Tom Cruise is absolutely spectacular the, he is the epitome of the run tom run meme uh in that film but in the best way possible um it's full of a great supporting cast when uh, it has uh henry cavill on there simon Pegg, ving rames is still there from the original films sean harris is a terrific villain mm-hmm. rebecca ferguson is awesome angela bassett i mean there's so many people in this movie and they all are doing a great job and some of the action scenes uh, in particular, skydiving into Paris, doing a halo jump or uh, a helixing spinning uh, helicopter fall, free fall, or just so many other elements of this movie that work incredibly well. And it's heartfelt. There's actually catharsis to it. There's characters we care about. There's emotional impact to the story. It's just, it's one of the best action movies you could ever see. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of franchises that, uh, from what I've heard, stay pretty decent in quality, aside from one of the uh, one of the entries. Yeah, um, absolutely, but, uh, it's right there. Yeah, uh, my number one, and Heath, I I am am fifty percent sure that you might have this at the top of your list too. Is uh, Skyfall? Yep, we tied. Yep, there we go. There we go. I knew it. Uh, do you wanna Do you wanna start us off? <laughs> Yeah, sure. So, uh, as I said, James Bond is my absolute favorite movie franchise of all time. I vehemently love these movies. I've seen all of them way too many times. Even the new one, I think I've already seen three or four times. Um, And it really came down to a a couple, uh, as I alluded to earlier, I waffled in there with Casino Royale. But uh, Skyfall is, I think, the ultimate James Bond film. I think it is a perfect movie for what it's trying to do. I think that the theme work about rehabilitation and reinvent envisionment uh rebirthing yourself as something new when the tried and true won't work anymore is ever present i think it has some of the best acting we've ever seen from the franchise daniel craig is killing it uh javier bardem is silva is amazing uh this being the swan song for dame judy dench is spectacular some of the action sequences are 
just downright amazing. It's shot beautifully by Roger Deakins, who's doing the cinematography. The in Shanghai, in particular, when they're doing that fight in the skyscraper, just backed up to the silhouette of the glowing lights, is mm-hmm. beautiful and gorgeous. Uh, the it, the movie sometimes gets a, a little bit of a joking uh, message to it regarding its ending with the kind of funhouse Home Alone ending, but I think it works really well and fits perfectly with the story and it's kind of neat to see how an agent would go about trying to stave off an onslaught of people when he has no resources whatsoever uh and yeah the movie's just uh it's terrific i i could watch it over and over again and i plan to for the rest of my life i love it (laughs) yeah uh it does the you know it does the bond the quote-unquote bond thing i think the best of craig's uh films um it, it balances w- great action with a really solid through line, uh, a mm-hmm. villain whose motivation actually makes a lot of sense. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, some emotional uh, stakes as well with, with, with Judy Dench. And, you know, we get uh, just little hints of, of Bond's backstory uh, before we get to the kind of retcon that happened in, uh, in, in, in Spectre. Um, but regardless, uh, I still, yeah, yeah, this is my favorite Bond movie. And as you see from my list, my favorite uh, spy movie, uh, in 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 general, I think it's just it's 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 the peak of the fr- of the franchise and just the peak of um of you know action uh action spy filmmaking. Um, yep. So yeah. Uh, be- before we move on, um, uh, I know I have some uh, honorable mentions. Uh, Heath, do you want to mention some of yours? Uh, you can go ahead and go first. Okay. Um. So uh, I you know. A lot of these aren't like amazing movies, which is why they didn't make my top five, but just spy movies that I enjoy. Uh, I really like Black Widow, uh, not my favorite MCU movie. It's sort of in the middle there, uh, but, you know, it's really only the only MCU film that I think could qualify as a spy movie. Uh, I think it, it works with that. Uh, Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery. Uh, especially the first one before the sequels descend into a parody of a parody. Uh, the first one is, it just has so many hilarious moments uh, that, you know, make fun of everything that you would want to make fun about uh, spy movies and, um, you know, James Bond. Uh, I like, you know, the Kingsman one is my favorite, but I still have fun with the second one and with the new one, the Kingsman, I think the world war one setting, uh, you know, it, it, it does it a lot of favors and it's absolutely ridiculous in the best possible way. Um, Spy Kids is also great, uh, albeit very, very strange. Um, I, I still really, really like Spy Kids. Um, you know, uh, weird CGI human thumbs aside. Um, <laughs> and uh, Tenet as well. I, you know, that's secret agent spies. I don't know. I was kind of reaching there. Um, but uh, Tenet, I liked, uh, especially on the second viewing when I really, when I really got everything. Um, but uh, yeah, so those are those are some of my uh, other favorite spy movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I uh, I had Austin Powers as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, it's going to feel different than most because it is not just even a, a comedy, but it's a parody of an existing spy franchise. But it really is also still one of the better spy franchise movies. Uh, the first one being the best. Um, in the Mission Impossible series, uh, number five, Rogue Nation, is another favorite of mine that I really enjoyed. Uh, I, like you've said, mentioned Casino, I mean, uh, Kingsman. Going back to James Bond, Casino Royale is right up there with me. Uh, I would also put From Russia with Love uh, right up there as one of the absolute best. Um, I have uh, The Man from Uncle, 
Uh, although the film itself was supposed to generate a franchise and it was based off of a TV show, uh, unfortunately, the box office return for it wasn't that great. But The Man from Uncle is truly a great film uh, and is worth your time if you want to take the chance, uh, take the time to see it. Um, another one that I I would include Tenet in there, um, but uh, Atomic Blonde. Uh, mm. It's not often that we as the 355 proves uh sometimes people mess it up but uh female-led action spy thrillers are not a plenty um and if you want a good one charlie's theron is really doing some work in that film uh, i very much enjoy it um I, I guess you could also mention some of uh other movies like tinker taylor soldier spy is pretty good uh, i think that was even nominated for like uh some Academy Awards. So mm-hmm. there's a lot out there. Uh, it's a very diverse and deep uh, genre. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I totally agree. A uh, lot of, a lot, a lot of diversity there. A lot of great, a lot of not so great. Um, but uh, you know, I, I think it's, it's one of the, uh, you know, sub sub action genres that will endure for a while because, you know, despite there being uh, you know, a very, a structure that seems to work for a lot of these. Um, the spy movies that work best are ones that, you know, put an extra little spin on that. And, you know, Bond movies have been really good at that, especially when, as Daniel Craig has been uh, the lead character. But, you know, when some come along, like the 355, that just don't understand the assignment and just, you know, copy off someone else's homework, uh, it just it just doesn't really turn out as, uh, as good as I think it could have. But yep. anyway... Um, time for our last segment on this show. Uh, we are going to talk about just something else that we saw um, in the last, uh, you know, in the last couple weeks or something. Something that we saw, movie, TV show, book that we read, maybe video game that we played, music that we listened to. Who knows? Whatever. Um, Heath, would you like to go first? Yeah, sure. Um, I uh, really want to shout out Tick Tick Boom. Uh, mm. It's a movie that came out. Uh, earlier in November, I, I watched it then. I actually went back and just recently rewatched it uh, about a week ago. And man, it's spectacular. Um, uh, if you're not a fan of musicals, it might not be for you. And that's totally understandable because it is not just a musical. It's a musical about musicals. Uh, so you really have to at least have some interest or at least uh, appreciation for those films as a genre or even the stage productions because that's actually what this is about it's not even about musicals as a film medium but musicals as a stage production uh but it has career best acting from andrew garfield i fully expect him to get a best actor nomination if not win the oscar Mm -hmm. this year for his performance he is absolutely spellbinding in this film he is terrific uh, his emotional resonance and range throughout the film is beyond impressive. And dude can sing. Uh, the songs in this movie are gripping. Some of them are hilarious. Some of them uh, will make you move to tears. Uh, I have been listening to this soundtrack pretty repeatedly ever since then. And uh, yeah, it's not just like a one and done either. Again, I went back and rewatched it about a week ago and it still holds up. I loved it more than ever. So it's a, uh, it's fantastic. And that's tick, tick, boom. It's available now on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really, really want to watch this again. I watched this over my Thanksgiving break and it was actually uh, part of the subject of the very first episode of this podcast. Uh, so it will always hold a special place in my heart because of that. Uh, yeah. I second everything you mentioned. Uh, I, this was actually my favorite of uh, 2021. Um, and I, I love this movie so much for me. Yeah. 
Yeah, ab- ab- absolutely. It's 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 just hard to deny the you know uh, Lin Manuel Miranda's directorial debut and and Andrew Garfield just knocked it out of the park. Uh, speaking of mm-hmm. things that understood the assignment, he definitely did. Yes. Um, I'm going to talk about another Netflix musical thing uh, that I recently saw, uh, Bo Burnham's Inside, uh, which nice. I uh, just watched for the first time last week. Uh, I had you seen have... his earlier specials before seeing this one, so you could so... see like the transformation. I'd so I I'd seen clips and I've heard a lot of the songs, but I have I, I'd never seen a full special of his. Uh, I've seen him act in a lot of things, um, but and. Uh, I sat down to watch this with some friends, uh, you know, and since it's been almost a year since it's been out, I had heard a lot and I was not sure what to expect. Uh, and I had been keeping, um, I had been deliberately not listening to the songs, even though my friend said, Rowan, the songs are so good. I was like, nope, I'm going to watch the special before I listen to the songs. And uh, I believe that was the best thing I could have done because a lot of these songs are hilarious and then they delve super deep into very real feelings and things. And uh, this is, in my opinion, what once in a generation talent looks like. Uh, Bo Burnham is um, is a, a, a genius, frankly, uh, a comedy genius, a musical genius, whatever you want to say. Um, and just... Ed- everything about the special I can tell comes from such a real place that I can fully appreciate what he is giving us. Uh, and, and, and it's, it's also on top of that really enjoyable. The songs are really fun. I have memorized in the couple days since I've seen it, I have memorized most of the songs uh, and, and not just because I've been listening to them over and over, but because the lyrics are so good. Um, so yeah, that's uh Bo Burnham's inside. It's, technically a comedy special i would not call it a stand-up comedy special like no like i i've, I've seen it labeled um this is him inside his house inside a room in his house shooting uh everything him himself which blows my mind the production quality is off the charts and the fact that he did everything himself is just absolutely incredible over the course of um a year so uh yeah that's bo burnham's inside also available on netflix yeah, um, so, absolutely love it. It's so good. Yeah, so 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 good. Um, and I, I'm I'm surprised. I'm honestly surprised in myself that I didn't watch it beforehand. But if I knew how good it was, I absolutely would have watched it. If you ever get the chance, you should go back and see some of his earlier specials. Mm-hmm. They're not they're not nearly as uh, uh, st- structured as this one is. Whereas this mm-hmm. one is, it's almost like a a concept album, as if it were yeah. an, an LP. Uh, where he's going for something very real and visceral with this. Uh, the others are more traditional stand-up specials, but you will definitely see, and that's why I say the evolution, you'll see bits and pieces, the aspects of certain parts of his performances and yeah. certain elements of some songs that eventually it makes sense. They're like, oh yeah, I see how he got here. And yep, he's a fully formed, unique generational talent at this point. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll definitely have to, I'll definitely have to do that and, and, and go back. Um, yeah, he like if, you know, if he ever does go back to live uh, touring and live shows, if there is one comedian that I would love to see, it would honestly be him. Uh, yep. He, he just seems his shows just look absolutely uh, amazing from what I've seen. So, um, yeah. So, uh, Heath, is there anywhere uh, that you would uh, like to tell people uh, to find you at, you know, a letterbox, uh, any websites? Yeah, uh, if you want, you can find me. The main way to find me is on Letterboxd. Uh, that's where I post everything I do. Uh, you can find me at the one Heath bar. 
again, the one Heath bar, all one word on Letterboxd. Uh, I watch on average about 15 movies a week. Uh, I log a review for every single one of them if I haven't seen them before or haven't logged a review before. So I'm constantly putting stuff there. Um, I'm also available on Sifpop. You can see I do uh, the, I participate in the weekly best ever challenges with them. And I also uh, usually write at least two film reviews a month for them. And I'm also on Shortboxed, which is an uh, marketplace website for high-end comic book sales. If you're into mm-hmm. comic books and you want to get some of the classics, like the first appearance of Spider-Man or something like that, uh, I do speculation articles on how uh, new films and things and movies and television that are coming out that deal with comic books and how they could affect the prices of comic books. So I write for Shortboxed in that regard. Nice. I did not know that. I will uh, I will check that up later. Um but uh, yeah, uh, I can also be found on Letterboxd. Uh, my username is the Screen Avenger, which has been my YouTube username for a couple of years, and I should probably change that on Letterboxd. Um, and uh, I am also on Instagram, Rowan.a.boat. That's Rowan a boat. And uh, on YouTube as well, the Screen Avenger. I make my own films. Yay, very fun. Uh, and if you want to, if you want to read more, uh, like what you've been listening to on this podcast, you can go to thelenientcritic.com. That's L-E-N-I-E-N-T, thelenientcritic.com. I write movies. I, I, I don't write movies. I do, but uh, I write movie reviews and uh, articles, uh, op-eds, and I publish the podcast there as well. So if you want to check that out, that would be much appreciated. Uh, And uh, yeah, so for uh, the Lenient Critic Podcast, my name is Rowan Wood. My name is Heath Lynch. And uh, I will be back next week.